All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Here's where we are. So Ephesians chapter 1 tells us our identity. It tells us who we are, so that 1, 2, and 3 kind of give us the identity that we have. 4, 5, and 6 talk about the practical application. So Paul, in writing Ephesians, tells us that we were chosen, that we were loved, that we're adopted, that we're redeemed, that we're forgiven. That's who we are. So remembering who we are, we want to live consistent with that. So he moves in chapter four to talking about how we should walk. Or if you're reading through the NIV, it talks about how we should live, mentions that in 4.1 and many other places coming through. And today we see another one of those in 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk. And then he goes on to talk about wisdom. Now here there's a slight transition. The slight transition is this. The past few weeks, as we've looked at chapter four, it's been don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Last week, there were some pretty hard commands in there. And so it was don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if all we ever focus on is the don't do thises of the Bible, it's almost like we're bringing a weight to bear on our shoulders that we can't withstand and it crushes us. It pulls us down. It makes us feel overburdened, overwhelmed. And so we always remind ourselves with the video that plays every single time whose our identity, what our identity is, who we are in Christ so that we then live out that identity. And it's not just works. It's the fact that we have been saved to his workmanship. And in this particular text, he comes to us and he's saying it like this. If I could just put it like this. Beloved students, all of these commands have been given to you and they've been given to me. And now Paul is saying, look carefully how you walk. Look carefully how you live. All of these commands, you know them now. These commands are the will of God for your life. So be careful. And that word careful could go with look or it could go with walk. So he could be saying here, look carefully how you walk. Or he could be saying, look so that you walk carefully. It can go either way, but the point's the same. Imagine ourselves walking up a cliff as we are hiking up to a steep mountain. And as we come up to this mountain, we see rock that is slippery. And we know that it's going to be slick. And we look over to the side and there's a large precipice where we could fall down. And so knowing that it's slick and knowing Knowing that the consequences are disastrous, we take each step very carefully, ready to grab onto something so that we don't fall, so that we don't reach into disaster. And this is what Paul's transitioning to. You get it here. He's writing to the Ephesians and he's saying to them, here's all the things that you are. Here's all the things that you should do. Now look carefully how you live your life. Pay close attention. And that just starts these few verses. Because as we look at these few verses, what we're going to see is that our main idea, our central idea is that you should choose every day to walk in wisdom filled with the Spirit. You say, well, can I just make that choice and be done with it? I wish it were that easy. I wish I could just decide at a revival service, at a Bible service, at a chapel, that's it, I'm done. I am living every day in wisdom and the power of the Spirit. But see, I have this thing called the flesh. 
It's that residue of my sinful nature that's still there that, that holds over. It's that fleshly impulse so that every single day when I get up, I have to renew my mind in the word. I have to ask the spirit to give me power to live like I'm supposed to live. Now, maybe you're not as sinful as I am, but chances are you are because most people I know have the same struggles that I have, the same struggles we all have. It's common to humanity. And as it's common to humanity, what we have to do is every single day we wake up, we make the choice today, I'm gonna walk in wisdom. Today, I'm gonna recognize the eternal struggle that's before me. And today, I'm gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that. I haven't even read our text yet. This is a great passage. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we read Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 21? Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Dear Lord, I pray that you would just help us to catch a glimpse of what Paul's writing and what you intend through the power of your spirit and the inspiration of your spirit for us to capture so that, Lord, we may live a life of wisdom characterized by being filled with the spirit for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, if you're taking notes, and I encourage all of you to take notes, you have your notebooks out, here's your outline for today. The outline for today fell out pretty easily, so it's not going to be hard for you to capture, not going to be hard to remember. We're going to look at the contrast. We're going to talk about the wise, the unwise, the foolish, discerning the will of God, the drunken versus being filled with the Spirit. There's your contrast, and we're going to talk about the command, be filled with the Spirit, an important command because all that we do in the Christian life happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, and then we're going to look at the characteristics. We're going to see these characteristics a little later, and I'm going to focus on the fact that we should be joyful, that we should be thankful, and that we should be humble. So we start with point number one, the contrast. We see the contrast when we look here in verse 15. It tells us, that then as you walk, you walk as not as unwise, but as wise. So there's your first one. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now it's interesting what flows next after that. But before I do that, let me show you all the contrast. Not as foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then not drunk with wine, or honestly, it's probably better to think about this as being controlled by wine or controlled by alcohol, but to be filled or controlled by the Spirit. We'll come back and touch on that as well. So we look at the first one. In verse 16, it tells us that we should make the best use of time for the days are evil. Now, this is Paul's thinking process. 
We should walk not as the unwise, but as the wise. What does that mean? He follows it up, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We get this around here. We know Psalm 90 verse 12 that says, so Lord, teach us to number our days so that we will live a life of wisdom. We in fact do this. We challenge all of you to do this with the thousand days that you're gonna be here on campus at Cedarville to maximize those thousand days. But we also recognize what Psalm 139 has told us is that all of our days are numbered and the Lord knows them all even before any of them exist. So we number our days because our days keep ticking away one right after the other. Now, how many of you in the room are seniors? Do we have seniors in the room? And seniors in the room, how fast did your thousand days go? All right, you're not helping me out here because you're not being very vocal. I know it's midterm time and you're feeling like it will never end this semester because you have senioritis, but how many of you feel like yesterday you were freshmen? Some of our guests are even raising their hands. You're not freshmen yet. You're talking about high school. I get it. Okay, let me move on because that didn't work. How about parents in the room bringing your son or your daughter to visit school? How many of you feel like yesterday you were holding them in your arms? There we go. There's a better example. All right, let me make a note here for future, just kidding. I bet you could go up to any octogenarian. If you don't know what that word is, look it up. Vocabulary for the day. Go up to somebody with really gray hair and ask them, do you feel old in your mind? I, I'm not an octogenarian. But in my mind, I'm still 20. The days have flown. In my mind, it was yesterday that I was holding a baby girl in my arms for the first time, and she's 14. In my mind, it was yesterday that I was showing up at Cedarville for the first time, and it's almost six years. And if we don't make sure we capture every day with intentionality, the days will fly by and we'll look back and we'll go, where did life go? What happened to it? It's gone. And so here our text is telling us, be wise, don't be unwise, make the most of the time because the days are evil. Now the days are not actually evil, but he's saying to us here, you better have a plan. You better have a strategy. And that's good advice for all of us. We could spend a whole lot of time here, but I'm not going to. Let me just touch on it for a minute. If you get your syllabus, and you don't plan out your semester and look at your assignments in the syllabus to say, okay, I've got a paper due. I've got a major assignment due. I better make some time so that I can plan this out so that I can accomplish this well. If you get all of your syllabi and you just take your syllabi and fold them up and put them on a desk corner or something on a shelf and say, I'll just deal with it later. I don't feel like dealing with it right now. I'm gonna go hang out with friends. What happens to your GPA? It falls off that cliff we were talking about at the beginning of chapel, right? Plan your life. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Do you have a plan? Now, some of us are to-do list people, some of us are not. I'm a mental to-do list person. I may make a few notes on my phone. I, there's a list, but it's not on paper. My wife is an on paper in a different color pen to-do list person. How many of you are to-do list people? 
There's nothing wrong with that. This is kind of what it's getting at here. Take captive of every day. You know what you have to do. And if you're a diehard to-do list person, you even have a list at the top that says make a to-do list so you can check it off. And then you have one at the bottom that says completing my to-do list so you can check it off. And maybe something halfway that says I'm doing okay right now. So I don't know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Let me give you some other thoughts here. Do you limit the amount of time that you spend or waste or whatever you want to call it on social media? Or do you just get involved? Because this is what happens to me. I'm not not harping at you in ways that I'm not guilty of myself. I pull out my phone because I really need to do something. And when I pull out my phone, all of a sudden there's another app that I click on. And when I click on that app, then I got to see what's going on. But that leads me to an article that I really need to read. So I click on the article that I really need to read. And then there's some comments in that article. And these comments are horrible. So then I need to write something to contradict all of the comments that are horrible but that wasn't what I clicked on my phone to do. So by the time I get to whatever it was I was gonna do, I can't remember what it was I was supposed to do and 30 minutes has passed. Anybody in the room identify with that? So here's my other problem, just, just confession time. I've got a project I need to work on. I need a large block of time for it, but there's emails sitting in my inbox and I'm the type person I know there are some of you that you have 10,000 emails in your inbox sitting on your phone and you have 42 unanswered voicemails and 100 unanswered texts. And my blood pressure goes up seeing the front face of your phone (laughs) because I have to zero out my inbox every single day or I don't sleep at night. And so I see five emails sitting in my inbox and I'm supposed to be writing an article, but I can't write the article because there are five black, dark, bolded things that I don't know what they are and they're sitting there in my inbox. I have to close my email down to get work done because if I see it there, I have to get it done. It has to be responded to because if it's not responded to, I just keep thinking about what is it that I have to respond to and then I don't get anything done at all. So I have to set aside time in my day that this is email time. So I have a particular time in my day where I will open my email, look at my email and do my email. And there are other times in the day, I don't even wanna see it. I don't wanna know it's there. I don't wanna think about it. I don't want my phone to load it. So it doesn't auto feed. It feeds when I tell it to feed because if it auto feeds and I see it on my phone, I know what I'm doing. I'm going back to the office to do email. Plan your day, however it works for you. But have a plan. Do you allow your virtual world to cause you to withdraw from your real world? Apply it however you would like. Do you find a quiet place to study where you can focus without distraction? Or do you go to a place to study where you know you're going to get distracted because you really didn't want to study in the first place? Do you recognize that saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else because time is just time? And if I'm giving you an hour here, there's an hour there I don't have to give to something else. Do you work hard when you're working? Are you where you are? Are you focused at the place that you are doing what you're doing? Or are you always looking at three or four other things and you call it multitasking because multitasking sounds a lot better than being distracted. Think about it. We're to be wise. Wise means we make the most of our time. We're not to be unwise. He continues on here. Don't be foolish. Foolish reminds us of the fool in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 18, and 23, the fool is careless. The fool lacks understanding. The fool despises wisdom, refuses to acknowledge dependence on God's presumptuous, lacks discernment in practical living. You don't want to be characterized by the words foolish. So then it contrasts that and it says, know the will of the Lord. Well, now that's interesting. Because understanding what the will of the Lord is is something that we often have a hard time. So today, I can't answer for you who you're supposed to marry. 
But if you're a freshman or a sophomore, I will tell you, work on being the right person, not finding the right person, right? Now, if you're, guys, if you're a junior or senior, it might be time to ask somebody out, all right? I'm just saying. You have presidential permission. I do this every spring. Those of you who have been here, you know this. Presidential encouragement to ask somebody out. So when you go ask them out, you say, the president told me I had to ask somebody out. I told you, guys, ask somebody out. Juniors or seniors, freshman or sophomore, we're on being the right person. You're not there yet. You still got work to do, all right? I still got work to do. But juniors or seniors, your thousand days is leaving. Ask somebody out. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm moving on. At least that went over better than the last one, right? So what is the will of the Lord? I can't tell you who you're supposed to marry. I can't tell you what job you're supposed to do. I can't tell you where you're supposed to live. I can't tell you this. The Bible is very clear that it tells us in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Micah 6, 8, he's told you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with him? These you know, these you can do. These are the will of the Lord. We've seen a host of implications in Ephesians for what we're to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I may not know the unknowns, but goodness, I have a hard enough time doing the things I do know to do. So don't be foolish Focus on what the Bible says is the will of God for our lives. Do the good things. And as we do the good things, he'll sort out the big things. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I, I love this passage. I'll tell you why in just a second. Verse six goes on, it says, that no one transgressed and wronged his brother in this matter. Because, anybody in here like Marvel? You like Avengers? All right, here's your verse. This is your life verse right here. Because the Lord is an Avenger. It says it in scripture. In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. First Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of, ignorance of foolish people. You know enough about the will of God for your life that you can work on the things you know and not be foolish and do those things and proceed forward. There's another contrast here. Do not get drunk, which is debauchery. Debauchery means behavior which shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of an action. A senseless deed, a reckless deed, recklessness. So it's saying do not get drunk because it results in reckless deeds. And we already know this. It's like saying, duh. Think about what happens after somebody says to somebody else, hey, let's go get drunk. Nothing good. Only things you regret. Because alcohol takes and depresses the portion of the brain that gives self-control, understanding, judgment, and balance. Thus, a drunk person is never at his or her highest level. Thought, reaction, judgment, all diminished. Control is gone. The person loses control to the substance so that it can be said that a drunk person is controlled by the alcohol which they have consumed. And if you've ever seen a drunk person, if you've ever seen one, even if it's just on the movies, I mean, if you're that sheltered, you've never seen a drunk person, 
even if it's just on the movies, you understand what that means. They're controlled by the alcohol. They don't act like they normally act. Guys that are tough start crying, slobbered, nasty, ugly, crying. Guys that are four foot two all of a sudden think they're bulletproof and want to fight everybody. And you're like, come on, dude, this is dumb. You're going to hurt in the morning. This is not wise. Introverts start telling you their life story. And you're like, I liked you better when you didn't talk. <laughs> People who talk all the time, all of a sudden get so, oh, I'm just going to focus and think about myself or whatever. I mean, it's crazy. And we don't, we don't talk about alcohol a lot because the whole legalism, not legalism, all of that type of stuff. Look, if you want to know what I think about alcohol, there was a sermon on it. I don't have time to touch on it in complete detail today in Proverbs entitled, Is Bud Wiser? You can go back and listen to that. <laughs> you can find out exactly what I think about alcohol in general. But here we're talking about being drunk and being drunk is contrasted with being filled with the Spirit. Being controlled with alcohol is set in contrast to being controlled by the Spirit. But before I go on, because we don't talk about it very often, let me give you some statistics about the abuse of alcohol. Annually, 1,825 students, this is you, between 18 and 24 die as a result of unintentional injuries where alcohol has played a role. 97,000 students in this age group have experienced sexual assault or date rape where alcohol was involved. Nearly 696,000 students report alcohol-related assaults each year. It's also believed that the figure is underreported because national statistics show that up to 40% of sexual assaults are never reported to law enforcement officials. We don't have alcohol on our campus for good reasons, and I can discuss those at other times with you. But let me just say to you, be very careful with the abuse of alcohol in your life. Here's what our text is saying to us, because I'm not gonna hijack the text. The text is saying, don't be under the control of alcohol but be controlled by the Spirit. So we shift to that point. The command, point number two. Be filled with the Spirit. There's three aspects here. Four if you count the fact that it's command, but that's in the main point, so you just have three underneath that. It's a command, which means it's not optional. You are commanded and I am commanded to be filled with the Spirit. That's our daily requirement. What's the will of the Lord? For me to be filled with the Spirit. It's present tense, which means that it's an ongoing deal that I have to do every single day. So how is it that I'm going to be filled with the Spirit every single day? It's my time with God. It's the relationship. It's what we drive home about meditation on Scripture, memorization of Scripture, reading Scripture, spending time in prayer, being around others that encourage us. It's living that life, that same trajectory for a really long period of time. It's plural. That means it's all of us. It's not just your faculty members. It's not just the pastors. It's not just me. It's every single one of us. It's plural. Every one of us should be filled with the Spirit. And it's passive, which means we are to be filled with the Spirit. We're to allow the Spirit to fill us or to control us. So when the Spirit controls us, then we have to agree to respond to what the Spirit tells us to do. And that's how we are then characterized as being filled with the Spirit. Now, when we look in Acts and other places, we realize that filled means controlled. You'll see in the New Testament, you'll see in the Gospels, controlled by wrath or controlled by envy. It talks about being filled with wrath, filled with envy. Those things control us so that in our thinking, that's all we can do. And to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, in our thinking, all we should be able to do is what the Holy Spirit wants us to be able to do. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. Don't get confused. Often we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that occurs at salvation. It occurs upon regeneration. 
You are then baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're part of the body of Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a repeated event. Look at Acts if you're curious about that. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit in one chapter, uh, verse chapter four, verse eight, right, turns right around in chapter four, verse 31, and he was part of the group it said was filled with the Spirit again. It's a constant recurring filling of the Spirit. It's why we come together to sing. It's why we come together to worship. It's why we read our Bible every single day to constantly characterize ourselves as being controlled or filled with the Spirit. The characteristics of it are typically boldness, wisdom, goodness, full of faith, full of joy. And there are certain individuals like the deacons in Acts 6 or Stephen who can be characterized as being filled with the Spirit. So we see somebody and we go, yeah, they're joyful. They're thankful. They do good things. They have boldness when it comes to the things of the Lord. We characterize that person, say that person seems to be filled with the Spirit. So we should seek to do that. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? There is a parallel passage here in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. So I'll put them on the screen for you. I want you to see the parallels. But be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians, up top. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Colossians passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now look at what it says after this. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him all. So look at all the different parallels. If you look at these parallels side by side of what happens in Ephesians 5 and what happens in Colossians 3, you will see that there are a lot of similarities. And in fact, that top line, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, gives us a good definition of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How can I be filled with the Spirit? Is this some experiential, charismatic type thing we're talking about? No. We're talking about living a life controlled by the Holy Spirit that is characterized by letting the word be in us so much so that when we answer, the word bleeds out of us. When we act, the word flows from us. That everything we do is so scriptural because we are so saturated in the word of God that it's like a sponge that has been saturated. You can't pick it up without applying pressure and the water oozing out. You can't apply pressure to our lives without scripture oozing out of our lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How does that happen? It can't happen if you haven't read your Bible, if you haven't meditated on scripture, if you haven't memorized scripture, if you're not in the word, if you're not digging deep into theology, the characteristics of God, what this means for my life, understanding it and being joyful about it. I'm learning more about God. Tell me what you're doing in class. I'm learning more about God. Well, be happy about it. I mean, look at what it says. We, we're going to move to the characteristics in a minute. It's, and it, it's joyful. Look at what it says in both of these. Filled with the Spirit, and then you address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks. The Colossians passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, and then you're admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is a good response. We come to chapel five days a week and sing grace from our hearts to the Lord because the overflow of being filled with the Spirit and letting the word of Christ dwell in our hearts richly means we want to sing. And when we come, we should sing loud. Now, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, so being able to sing well doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't. That's the characteristic for singing or not singing. We should be joyful about it and we should sing because he's worthy. I don't like to sing. I don't care if you like to sing. God says sing because the spirit's in you and the word's in you, so sing. Is that okay? 
you guys really do a pretty good job singing, but there's got to be a few of you. You're probably sitting in the back row somewhere with your arms crossed and you're not even, you don't even want to be here. There are those days, we all have them, I get it. You don't want to be here, you don't want to sing. You're sitting there like, they make me stand up. I wish they'd let me sit down, but they make me stand up. I'm not singing. Well, you're not filled with the Spirit either. Ooh, really? Our text says, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in my heart richly. And if it's dwelling in my heart richly because I've had my quiet time and I've read my Bible and I realize how bad of a sinner I am, and how gracious of a God saved me, what am I gonna wanna do but show up in chapel and sing praises to his name? If that's not where you are, and it's okay because we're not there every single day, but if that's not where you are, recognize where you are that day. Go get in the word. Go listen to some Christian music that gets you excited about God. And, and this is an everyday thing. If all you're looking for in walking with the Lord is the spectacular, you're missing out on the majority of your life. If you read the Old Testament, there are the hilltop moments where God does amazing things and he can anytime he wants to. But there are also the valleys that go in between those hilltop moments. And we have to be just as faithful when we're walking down the mountain and when we're in the valley and when we're going back up the mountain as we do when we're on the mountain peaks. Every day we get up and make a decision. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to make sure the Word of Christ is dwelling in me richly. Choose each day to be filled with the Spirit. Choose each day to let the Word dwell in you. Choose each day then to show the characteristics of being filled with the Spirit. And that's our final point. The characteristics. We sing. Look at the way it's just worded. I put joyful down here for it because I get joy out of this text when I look at it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, unless you can sing real well, I don't, I don't recommend that you greet people walking down the hallway with a song, but if you sing well, maybe you could try it. I don't know. Uh, we make melody to the Lord with our heart and then thankful here. Verse 20, giving thanks. Now, this is the hard part. We could spend a lot of time here if we had it. Always and for everything. Boy, I don't do well at that. There are certain things I'm really not thankful for in my life. Like ice on the sidewalks in the wintertime. I got an amen on that and nothing else. There's a problem here, Cedarville. All right. I'm just kidding. That was a good amen. Thank you for that. Uh, mosquitoes. Is there anybody in the room thankful for mosquitoes? There's going to be somebody that studied science and they understand the great good that mosquitoes do. But I don't. And I don't like them at all. I... Yeah, I have a tennis racket that you can swap mosquitoes and flies and everything else with and it zaps them and kills them because it's electrified and it's great fun. I'm just saying that's how sinful I am. <laughs> I give thanks for that tennis racket, not the mosquitoes, but always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the last verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have a hard time with this one too. I do. I have a hard time with this one. I suspect you all have a hard time with this one. We're going to spend some time on the examples of this verse. This verse carries on through the next chapter. So this verb supplies a lot of the examples that we'll see going forward. So what this means to us, what this says to us, is not that everybody has to submit to everybody else, but there are examples, there are times in life where we have authority and we should submit to the proper authority that's in our life. And we'll talk about fathers and children's and, and parents and things of that nature, and we will, we will move on to that, but that's for another time. I've listed it as humble. Why do I list it as humble? All of us have authority in our lives. You name your position, there's somebody over you. 
There's always somebody over you. If there's nobody over you, God is over you. And the reason we typically don't submit is because we get prideful. I know what's best. I know what I need to do. I'm not submitting to the authority of my life. And this text tells us submit to be humble. Being humble is over and over and over again in scripture. So if your first reaction to this is, I'm going to rebel against all authority. That's not being filled with the spirit. That's not letting the word dwell in you richly. That's not a godly attitude. And that's hard. Because we don't like somebody to tell us what to do. And I find in my own heart when somebody tells me what to do, there are times that it wells up within me and I just want to say no, not because it's a bad idea. Sometimes it's just because it's not my idea. You ever get that way? I, I would do it if I had come up with it, but you told me to do it, so I don't want to do it because you don't get to tell me what to do. How sinful and selfish and arrogant and prideful am I when that attitude fills my heart versus the humility to say, yeah, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm here to serve. Seeking to serve others, seeking to serve our Lord. What characteristics do you want to be known by? Oh, I can think of students. We have some incredible students here. Some names come to mind. Joyful. I see them. They always have a smile on their face. They encourage me. You know who they are too because they're the people we want to be around. They bring us joy just by the fact they're so joyful. That's a great characteristic to have. Thankful. Not always griping and complaining, but always giving thanks. Thank you so much for this. I didn't do anything. Well, thank you for not doing anything. You're just so sweet. and <laughs> You know the people I'm talking about. You love them just as much as I love them. I would call out their names, but the last point is humble. It's hard to be humble when your name gets called out. Be humble. Seek to serve. Name your characteristics. Think about your tombstone. What do you want written there? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? I want people to say this, 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 and this about me. Well, if I want people to say that about me one day, then I better be that today because I'm never gonna be one day what I'm not being today. So if I wanna be that, today I'm gonna be that. Tomorrow I'm gonna be that. You write it down, you put it on your mirror, you put it on a sticky note, you write it in your Bible and you say, I'm gonna be this today and tomorrow and every day and I'm gonna seek to have a long trajectory in the same direction. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap character. Sow character, reap a destiny. One step, one day. Progress, not perfection. Every day, we choose to walk in wisdom in a life filled with the Spirit. That's your main idea. Choose every day, today, tomorrow, the next day to walk in wisdom, filled with the Spirit. Oh God, we are so weak and fail so frequently. I pray for myself. I pray for all of those in the room that Lord, there are just days where we just don't even wanna try. But Lord, by the power of your Spirit, I pray that you'll help us to live a life of wisdom, recognizing the difference between the wise and the unwise, between the foolish and knowing what your will is between those who are controlled by worldly things and those who are controlled by the Spirit. Lord, I pray you would help us to be characterized as being filled with the Spirit, to be joyful, to be thankful, to be humble. Lord, help us every day to choose wisdom and help us every day to choose to be filled with the Spirit by helping us every day to choose 
to read your word and to spend time with you so that you may transform us through the power of the gospel for Jesus' glory. Amen. And you are dismissed.